I'm Chip Bach, and welcome to Blue Rock. On each episode, we'll discuss what life is like on this big blue rock, where we are all headed, separately and together, what changes we need to make to ourselves, the planet, and towards each other, and just discuss what daily life is like for your fellow crew. And maybe, just maybe, we may also see a commonality that connects all of us. All right, welcome to another episode of Blue Rock. I'm Chip Bach, your host, and I've got a tremendous guest here with me today. His name is Chuck Patterson. Uh, Chuck, we're going to give you a... I don't know if you can hear that on your end, but uh, the studio is very excited that you're here. Here, and uh, I know Chuck loves. It. A lot of people say they don't like the cheering. I know Chuck likes <laughs> likes the cheering. Right? He likes to have a good time. So we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna get the the studio to calm down. Everybody, calm. I know people are very excited. The ladies, everybody's very excited when Chuck Patterson is on. So everybody, get in your seats. Hold on, Chuck. There, they're gonna they're gonna calm down here in a second. <laughs> So I like to give you the full virtual immersion, Chuck. So, all right, cool. I I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. That's amazing right there. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know there's a whole studio back there, man. You know, that's the stuff I don't don't let you in. There's about 40, 50 people back there. Anyway, uh, well, listen, thanks for getting on, Chuck. Obviously, times have been a little strange for all of us. Um, You know, here on on the Blue Rock podcast, we're we're trying to get people a little better connected. And um, you of all people, you know, I'm going to give people some background for those who don't know who Chuck Patterson is uh, and whether you listen to the podcast or whether you're watching the YouTube channel um, it's it, to call Chuck a waterman would be a vast understatement as many of you know you know I, I'm I'm a I'm pretty deep into the water sports we've talked with other you know um, watermen from around the world we've got other you know obviously there's, there's a lot of those people coming into the podcast um, but Chuck uh, is is one who excels not just one he he kind of does it all he's a master of multiple disciplines skiing snowboarding big wave surfing stand-up paddleboarding kiteboarding windsurfing foil surfing and speed flying we're gonna get into what the heck that is um patterson has he, chuck has been has been charging mountains and chasing waves as a full-time sponsored athlete and stuntman for over 30 years it's a long ass time and he's still in one piece we're gonna talk about that too um california adventure sports journal said this about chuck if such a person if such a thing as a california action sports hall of fame existed chuck patterson would win unanimous induction on the first ballot that kind of says it all man that's and and we're going to talk about how you feel about that so and and lastly some people might also know him as the shark whisperer we're going to talk about that too so chuck how you doing, man? I'm doing Welcome great. Thank you so much. Uh, super honored to, uh, you know, break bread with you and talk story. I mean, uh, the nice thing is, I mean, we've been doing sports for so long. I've known you for a very long time. And it's uh, nice to kind of, after all this stuff that's been going on, to get back and just get some good story time in. Yeah, man. Uh, I think the first time we met in person, even though I, I, I knew of you, uh, prior to 2009, I want to say it was the 2009 Hobie Hennessy uh, U.S. Paddleboard Championships in Redondo. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's where right. you, I came out, borrowed an unlimited board from Joe Bark, who we both know, and uh, 
you just, I, I don't know, gun went off. And um, <laughs> I think I gave you a hug at the finish line. That was about <laughs> all I saw you in the course of that, in the course of that race. Um, that was when uh, you were on that Hobie Unlimited sub. For, for those of yeah. you who don't know, and again, you know, I, we've got a broad audience. So I don't want to, I, I, I try and, Chuck, please bear with me. I do try and expand when we start talking about, we start geeking out on uh, stand-up paddle boards and Unlimited and what the heck that means. An Unlimited stand-up paddle board, everybody's very familiar with what stand-up paddle board is, but in racing, an Unlimited board usually is about, what, 18 feet plus? I think the rules are technically 16 feet plus, but in yeah. general, they're 18 foot plus boards. Chuck was one of the original dudes out there just crushing it uh, on an 18 foot ho custom Hobie carbon uh, board. And like I said, in that race in 2009, man, I remember that gun going off and all I saw was this pair of red shorts way <laughs> the hell out in front of everybody. Um, and then, like I said, saw you at the end of the race. So yeah, that was the first time. Um, and obviously, you know, you and I've raced with, with people that were, were are, are somewhat legends that were oh, all yeah. kind of just everyday dudes back then from Thomas Maximus, Rob Rojas, uh, Danny Ching. Was he on a surf ski back then? Um, he was, no, I think, hey, you know what, good question. He he might have been, I know that he was so heavy on, um, or I mean, like, like as always, you know, without rigor. Um, but I remember he kind of came on a little bit later and then just crushed us. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He was one of those. He was one of those guys that we all hated, right? Yeah. And by the way, on on a, on a side note with that, Chuck and I, um, Thomas Maximus, Rob Rojas, Chuck and I have all considered ourselves. I'm going to use a more PC term: the bigger kids uh, yes. in stand-up <laughs> paddleboarding. Um, what that means for those of you who don't know, 190 plus, right? In in six foot plus in height, um, and in stand-up paddleboarding back in the day not as big a deal right you can yeah. get out there everybody kind of the designs of the boards as things progressed uh the the little flyweights showed up and that was it man it was it's become progressively harder and harder uh to compete but back then things were a little bit more a little bit more even steven yeah so I mean, to speak it, uh yeah yeah go ahead Chuck. no i mean it was it was definitely a really cool time in the sport i mean because um there was so much evolution you know, so much stuff evolving and design was kind of just all over the place. So it made it really cool. There wasn't any right or wrong way. It was just dependent on the pretty much the paddler and the conditions. And then once things kind of started rolling and, you know, we were using the unlimited boards a bunch, then people started trying to, you know, manage the sport a little bit and suddenly go, okay, we need 12.6, we need this. And then suddenly that changed the game to where big guys you know, actually kind of had to go backwards and suddenly we're competing against, then it really turned into the weight class um, didn't match up. So, you know, you got guys that are, you know, basically maybe 130 to 150 pounds, you know, on a 12.6 and then you got someone like me or you that's like 220 trying to grind it out and these guys just smoke past you and then we kind of weathered some storms through that and then we finally got the 14 you know foot class and i remember i was still going back and forth with the unlimited because i was like so anti 12.6 and then i go all right i'm going to give it a shot with the 14 and suddenly i found myself very competitive in even the unlimited class because that just a little you know right. two feet more 
and definitely a lot more volume made a huge difference and at least it slowly equaled the playing play, you know playing field so to speak yeah yeah and, and i mean look you know back then you know that unlimited class um i remember racing against you in the first cold stroke i don't know if you remember oh that. yeah you came and talked yeah that was in riceville beach that was cold some winter <laughs> month whatever the hell it was january february some some reason to not be in riceville beach yeah. uh, at that time of the year I remember it being just absolutely freezing. You did a presentation, I think, right before the the race. I borrowed a uh, production version of the carbon board that I think you'd helped design yeah. in the 12.6, thinking, oh, I'm going to come up. I'm going to give Chuck. Yeah, same thing that happened <laughs> in 2009. I ended up following Chuck around the course, just colder. That's pretty much the only difference between Redondo and then. So, but by the way, if anybody's sensing a trend, that happened the whole time. So we'll have more stories that we're going to keep talking about, but it's always me looking at Chuck's ass. So anyway, uh, long story short, I do remember that that was a cold at, like that was a ridiculous, we were doing stupid stuff back then, meaning like, but I got to tell you, it was, I don't know whether you and I'll, you know, please talk about this. That was some of the most fun, man. I mean, because around that same time was when the uh, Rainbow Sandals, uh, battle of the paddle first started yeah. and you were the inaugural uh, inaugural winner of that and crushed it and that dude that changed everything because now you had surfing involved so talk talk more about yeah, that yeah that that was kind of cool i think that's when stand-up paddling really in my mind became kind of serious and very organized and to have jerry lopez and sparky from you know rainbow sandals really kind of put a ton of money and effort into creating what I would call, deem as like a world championship because it was pretty much the best paddlers from all over the world came to it, whether you want to label it a world championship or not, but it really was out of any event that I saw, there was like heavy hitters from everywhere and it was such a cool event. Um, you know, that first one was kind of None of us knew what to expect, but then we were forced, you know, they were like, okay, we need to manage it and have it be one class. So it makes it simple. And the whole 12, six thing was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I was working really hard with Hobie trying to get as much volume in a 12, six that was still fast. Um, but yet stable, um, for me to, you know, do my work. And I just remember like a good three, Four weeks before the event, everybody was training and everybody was really secretive on the stuff they were on. And I remember, I mean, living in Dana Point, I was in the water. I was uh, building a friend's house and I was in the water early morning and in the evening because I was all about, you know, getting the glassy workout. And then I knew in the afternoons it's going to be ugly and you just don't know what Mother Nature is going to hit you with. And so I just, I just overdid it so to speak and just kept going i just remember seeing people you know i'd see them like in the in the harbor you know and i'm just cranking out my miles and i'd suddenly see a group of you know paddlers that i knew were racing and suddenly they turn around because they were on boards that they didn't want me to see (laughs) and i was kind (laughs) of laughing i'm like oh my god so it kind of like i'm all okay so that's how it's gonna be and i just remember that all right I'm just going to do my workouts, not talk to anybody, do my thing. And um, my biggest dream was like, how rad would it be to win in my hometown? And that would really kind of show that yeah. all the hard work I put into it really came to something. And 
the day of the event, I remember they had the, you know, the, I think it was the open event, which had, I don't know, a good couple hundred people. And yeah. um, it started out all glassy and they were doing, I think it was like a, maybe it was like a three mile loop or something like that or two mile loop. And they were doing like, I think three or four laps and it started out glassy and I kind of was like, oh man, it would be so nice if it got windy. And then in the last lap um, of the race, it suddenly ramped up to like blowing 20 plus, you know, and yeah. I, every, I could just see everybody, you know, cause the pro class hasn't started. We're just watching and I could see everybody just freaking out and I'm just like going, this could be it, man. This could be That's what I wanted. That's when the big wanted, guys start to you know? smile, yeah. man. When the wind <laughs> picks up and the surf gets up, you're like, you That's little right. guys can't handle this 12-6, can you, in big surf? We can. Yeah, exactly. It's like, a little, it's, it's, it's like a shortboard to us. Yeah. yeah, I know. I used to do the same thing. People would be freaking out. I'm like, are you kidding me? The, the playing field just leveled dramatically. Yeah. Because your little flyweight is now going to work against you. Yeah. yeah exactly. So that that was really awesome. And then I remember when we started, you know how every race is. I mean, this was like the first biggest event, you know, that we've had in the sport. And, you yeah. know, you get everybody lined up on the beach. You're trying to get your angle. The buoy is, a, you know, like a half mile out. And, you know, it really depends where you, you know, stand you know to do your takeoff and then whoever's next to you and then you gotta you know take in consideration the wind and how much it's blowing downwind and so you don't want to be you know you're just trying to get the quickest fastest um line the straight line to get there and then do your move so i just remember it was just so much like stress and anxiety and then when the you know the horn blew i just you know, you just, all that stuff disappears and you take off and I ground, you know, grinded it out and as luck would have it, I made it to that first round of buoy. And then I just remember it was just hell to just keep that lead all the way around. And, and, uh, I remember we had to, after every lap, we had to get out and run this chicane, you know, which was, I think a cool mix and then come back, jump back on your board and then do another lap. And so you guys have board caddies that first event. Um, we didn't have our own. They had people that were there, so there was no kind of like plan, you know? So it was just like, we were just told like, Hey, you just leave your board there. Someone's going to have it on the other end, ready for you to jump on. And and so we were like, okay. So I just remember just, you know, there was definitely a lot more waves coming in. So I remember you'd round that outside buoy and then you'd kind of try to surf a wave in and try not to break your fin off in the shore pound. And then you'd run the chicane and come back and hopefully your board was in the right spot. You'd grab it, right? go, you know, pretty much side wind a little bit and then suddenly crank upwind and, and then do this big square again. And um, I remember I think we had, yeah, two laps and on the third lap um i was pretty destroyed and i had um uh, this one hawaiian gosh darn it i can't believe i'm forgetting his name the guy's amazing anyways an outrigger canoe paddler from um Kauai. and yeah. uh or no no from no from big island kona yeah and yeah. um oh t-bear t-bear that's who it was this guy oh, yeah, was yeah, yeah. a badass insane paddler anyway so he was pretty much on my butt the whole time and i was pretty exhausted and we're going upwind and he's right behind me then we go sidewind um uh he ends up falling i get a little head um i end up falling he's right next to me suddenly we round the mark going downwind and um we're right next to each other and i'm at a point going you know what just let him have it and then 
I'm in my mind like, well, what are you talking about? Let him have it, you know? And so we're grinding it out. He's not giving me an inch and we're just side by side going downwind, getting these glides and luck would have it, you know, some little bobble or whatever. Um, you know, he end up kind of slipping and falling, got right back on his board, but I just never looked back and I put the hammer down and came around the corner and back up wind and didn't even look, didn't want to care or anything. And then made it through the finish line and best day ever. But the rad part was just, I ended up running back to the beach and ran, you know, the chicane with him because it was such an honor to, yeah. to be yeah. hammered against by such an incredible athlete that I didn't even know until I got to know him better. And it was amazing. You guys that day, for those of us in the paddleboard community around the world, um, changed how everybody saw Santa paddleboarding. I remember watching that, uh, you know, seeing the, the replays and some of the videos and stuff because there wasn't live streaming then or anything like that. And, and um, being on the right coast and hearing about this event and then seeing the recap afterwards and just changed everything. People were like, this is so cool. And so then, of course, the, the, the core group of right coasters, we were all like, w are they doing it again next year? Cause we're there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I ended up doing 2010, 11, I think I missed 12. I, I was there for the last time they did it at Dana point. Yeah. That. And I don't remember which year that was, but I did it like three, four years total before it, it disbanded. Yeah. I think I stopped going when they, when they moved it around the corner and that, that there was that one or two crazy events. Oh yeah, we had that where it went to Salt Creek. They're kind of changing, yeah. and then we had massive surf, which was incredible, yeah. but it changed the whole dynamic of that. It's a different event. vibe. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the so. Same. The, the, I mean, you guys had a great event, that inaugural event, but man, it picked up so much steam. Yeah, those three or four years afterwards, I, you know, for you guys, you 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 were kind of there, started it all. You, it was your local space. For us coming in from around the world or coming over from the right coast. Dana Point was the cool, like that whole vibe. I can remember I would come in like three or four days before the event and Jerry Lopez, I mean, for anybody who's, who knows anything about, you know, surfing, surf culture, surf legends, to have people like Mickey Munoz just walking by, hanging out, you know, they'll stop and talk to you, you know, shoot, you know, just chat. They don't know who you are, but you know who the hell they are. Jerry Lopez is doing yoga every morning totally, before the yeah. event with people on the grass and it was like a giant family it was like the global tribe that had gotten into this crazy sport uh of stand-up paddleboarding this was like our homecoming every year right yeah. everybody would come together and people would be hanging out i remember ej johnson and and uh and uh, bob reisner mm -hmm, um, that's right we lost bob yeah. a few years back but i don't remember they used to do that uh it was like a beer can rally. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Rob Rojas and those or guys. A couple days before that, or yeah. something like that, <laughs> where they do this beer. I mean, dude, it, it was, was in the harbor. Yeah, it was so much funny. fun yeah. in the harbor. I mean, just everybody was there hanging out. Yeah, uh, I remember hanging out at the Hobie store. They would do an event and a big barbecue and mm -hmm. pulled pork and all this stuff. And it was just, I can't, you know, for like I said, for for those of us around the world that became our like Mecca, right? Like that was yeah. a place to go. And the best part was that you could come in and even though you might be a pro elite class on the right coast, but you're not sponsored, right? You're just, you're paying your own way, whatever, but you'd get to come and now race 
with people that are fully sponsored coming in from all over the world. And for me, you know, I know you guys had a lot of that first race, but by the time I got there, the, the next oh, year, yeah, no, it 100 was... and, what, 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 175 on the starting line for the men's class? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, something 175, like something like that. And then I remember the, the open class was like, um, close to like 400. Oh, five. 500, yeah, it was like 500, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. But I remember the for me personally, that, that, that it's, I still, I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I, I it, when I envision it, I can hear the drums and I get the goosebumps. Yeah. 175 on the line. We're all standing there. And the commentator would go, paddle is all, are you ready? And everybody yeah. go, ooh, 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 yeah. right? Like, like the, the Spartans and the Tahitian drums start. And the crowd, there'd be three, 4,000 people on the beach. <laughs> Dude, insane. It didn't matter where you placed. Yeah. Just competing and being in the event was the energy was off the chart, right? And then some of those years, just where the surf would be a little bit more crazy or whatever. And so many people, the carnage, I used to have people grab me on the beach and just be like, I don't know what this is that I just watched, but this is the most fun sporting event I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It was like NASCAR and surfing yeah. all messed together in a, in a gladiator arena where just anything can happen. People losing their boards, going up against Thor's hammer on the rocks and just, oh my God, just, awesome what was that i mean obviously you were there the i mean first that year, was but as it got bigger what was that like for you it was pretty rad i mean it was definitely to move it up there where the surf was more in contention and for some crazy reason i mean it's maybe it's just sparky or jerry lopez that that spirit that those guys have with surf that we had i think there was only well no we've had we had surf every event and yeah. for that place It'd be like flat, whatever, and then you know a couple of days before, and suddenly, as luck would have it, there'd be some swell that would hit during that event, and it would be pumping, and it would be, and that's what it's made that mana, event man. so it's good. The mana, yeah, would, would bring the waves. Yeah, right? so many people showing up, exactly. And the ocean would just respond. You know that. Yeah, and it that's made it, it made it such a cool event to basically you had the power out through the surf. You had to, you know, somehow make it around these buoys without getting slammed by somebody. And there'd be like, you know, you're looking at the bottlenecks were gnarly. You know, I mean, they're like probably 10, 10 people wide with, you know, um, you know, 100 all going at once going in and people just yelling, cussing, stuff falling, you know, people slamming each other's boards, this and that. And suddenly you'd come out of it and you're like, OK, I got straight away go across and suddenly you'd be all, oh, here comes a set. And you take off, and if you got lucky, you got that set to the next buoy, and that was the downwind buoy that was by the hammer. And or if you were out ahead and you didn't get a set, and you were just like grinding as hard as possible, and you just turn around and you'd see a set grab all the people that were way behind you, and yep. suddenly before you got to the buoy, you were all on the same way. There's a dozen of you it now, all side by side. So yeah, nice. Yeah. And that's what made it fun. I think yeah. for people on the beach. It was all happening right in front of you, totally. right? There wasn't like a long distance race where people disappeared for 30 minutes and then yeah. showed back up again. So it all happened right in front of you. It was for me personally, because I came from, uh, as a kid, I was big in, in one design sailboat racing. So that triangular course setup yeah. um, just shrunk down. So I got it, but it was cool because it was like triangular racing without the rules, exactly. <laughs> which was kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> um, there was no like, you know, hey, I'm first to the buoy. You got to let me turn. <laughs> People yeah. are swinging up, uh, knocking people <laughs> off their boards. Nothing intentional. Nothing, you know, everybody was actually a very good sport about it. 
but man, it was just so much fun. And in later yeah. years, I don't know if you remember this, Chuck, uh, Kai Lenny, who we'll talk about here in a second. I know you mentored Kai and some of the younger guys. And for those of you who don't recognize the name Kai Lenny, I'm hoping to get Kai on to do one of these. I might even get Chuck and Kai to come on together. That would be kind of cool. Um, but Kai has now gone on. He was one of those little flyweights that showed up and just started killing all of us. And there's others in that pack that came up in that generation. Um, but Kai is now, you know, GoPro, Red Bull. You know, he's he's like he's one like of the top star. water athletes in the world. Yeah, exactly, down. exactly. I mean, from he is media, multimedia performance competition does it all but again yeah. you know we'll, we'll 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 talk about that another time but kai me personally one of my biggest memories of kai besides the fact that this little kid showed up and just started killing everybody was that one of the last battle of the paddles at dana point the surf was really big there's that turn at thor's hammer and i'd gotten that this is when they instead of us all being in one giant heat they'd broken it up into heats and oh, i had yeah, made I it through that. to the final to the final pro heat but kai had made it through obviously and I remember him being out in front. He caught a wave and got a jump on everybody because one of the other top racers, Connor Baxter, was right on his tail. And Kai caught a wave. But instead of coming down and pushing out the back like all of us used to do and just rounding the buoy, he on a 12-6 board, dropped the rail, did a full backhand cutback like he's on a six-foot shortboard. Yeah. Just like that popped up and around the buoy and the crowd went crazy all of us were watching him on the wave going and you know that, that you when when you're in an event and you hear that oh yeah. everybody went oh my god like yeah. he did not just do what we think he just did it just every year that sport just got better and better yeah. and more and more fun and it got to the point probably same as for you i think i didn't care about winning or losing i just wanted yeah. to be there i just want yeah. to be involved right i mean is that no, to I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it was neat. I mean, I think, yeah, it came, it was great to see all the young kids killing it and it was awesome to be a part of it. But I definitely think as it kind of mixed through different sponsors and whatnot, the sport slowly, you know, it just lost its flair a little bit. And maybe because things were changing on the money side and whatnot. And you could always bet. I mean, you had Kai, Connor Baxter, um, you know, Annabelle, Candace, um, Slater was in the mix. Slater, there. Slater yeah, way early. Long time. But I mean, yep. it was it was just kind of you could just count on those those youngsters putting the hammer down, always doing it, and it was and it was cool. But I think as it, as the sport kind of progressed and stuff, and there was other events, and it just slowly kind of going. All right, we need something new. Like we almost really wanted to put an effort into try a whole different sport, but. At that time, money started changing a little bit, and the sport was already out for so long, and it was kind of like, all right, I'm going back to surfing and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's true. I mean, you know, we you you and I kind of had you know obviously different paths, but similar, right? So, you know, so you started. Let me let me back up a little bit in Chuck Patterson's life. Chuck, you started. Now, it, I know you were, you've always been an outdoor guy, but when you start hearing things like you started at two and a half years old. What did that mean for you? What kind of stuff were you doing at two and a half? So for me, um, I was super blessed. My mom was a big time European ski racer and uh, from Austria, um, like Germany. And then um, my dad was a nuclear physicist. So 
I had the best of both worlds. You know, I had my dad was a, a strict disciplinarian, very smart, methodical on his thought, you know, process, yet very strict. And then my mom was a badass athlete. She was an incredible, she was a pro windsurfer, uh, pro big wave, or uh, big big boat sailor as well. And uh, skiing was kind of her big thing. So um, when we, you know, I was born in the US and then we moved back to Germany when I was oh, wow. growing I up okay. and that's where I learned to, uh, or that's when my mom was like, okay, kids got to all ski. So around two, two and a half, my mom pretty much, uh, had me in the backpack and then put me down between her legs and then had me ripping around. And then my sister was born and she was in the backpack and I'm skiing. And so yeah, skiing was pretty much our first big sport that was kind of mandatory in our family. Like this is what we're going to do every day in and out and I was super stoked because it set up kind of a foundation for me on everything I've done to this date. I mean, um, you know, I didn't understand how much that would impact, um, you know, my love for just that rush of doing sports, learning new things, getting challenged, getting my butt kicked by mother nature and, uh, just kind of shaped who I am. And, uh, Really cool thing. So I started, yeah, long story short, started out skiing and then I followed my mom's footsteps and as she was competing windsurfing, I ended up uh, joining her and then slowly learned um, how to compete and then started holding my own as a junior and then it just kind of escalated from there and then I started figuring out how to get sponsors and, you know, so yeah, it was awesome way to start you know especially as a kid so how did you end up then in southern california and adding the non-frozen water to your <laughs> repertoire well winter time so we grew up in northern california and we had a place in lake tahoe so that was kind of our main home thing and we skied all over there and then uh, my dad worked, uh, you know, at uh, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory out of Berkeley, you know, California, and also was really big in the UC system, you know, for um, UC Berkeley. So that was kind of our place. And so we spent a lot of time windsurfing and skiing, and that was kind of just chasing the seasons. And then summertime was all about wind, beach, this and that. And then my mom started doing competitions in Hawaii. And naturally we went to Hawaii and then that's when I think I was like 12 or 13 was what the first time I got to like understand and really see big wave surfing. And of course I went boogie boarding. I didn't even surf, but I went boogie boarding when we were there. I remember we were on Maui and my mom was doing some event there and, and I was so amped at being in the water. I couldn't get out of the water and loved waves. And so when we flew back, I got, you know, put all my money together and bought my first surfboard and then started just going to the beach as much as I could, you know, and then pleading my parents, please, let's go to the beach or whatever. And then that kind of just kicked in that kind of thing. And and the crazy thing about it was that we were living in Piedmont, Oakland, which is, there's, it's the Bay area. So we were living kind of on the the inland side of the bay and in order to get to the beach it was a good hour to cross the bay to get into san francisco and then get to the beach 
So it wasn't like your normal, you know, like, oh, we lived on the beach. It's like, no, I lived right. really far even away. Like 20 minutes. It was, it was, a, it yeah. was a trip. It was a Get trip. A plan for it. Yeah. So my parents, I mean, I was very lucky. I was big time into skateboarding. Um, you know, I learned a lot. You know, as long as you had 20 cents in your pocket to call your parents, you know, and they knew where you were. And I wasn't, you know, being an idiot. Um, you know, I could go anywhere I wanted on the bus. So, yeah, sure enough. I kind of mastered a plan and, and, you know, I'd wake up at like four in the morning and I'd skate down to the uh, bus stop and uh, have my surfboard under my arm and my wetsuit, my backpack, and there'd be no one on the bus. So no one could tell me I couldn't use my board. And so the guy was really cool and he goes, oh yeah, right on, just sit in the back. And he, I'd drive all the way down to uh, Oakland, you know, and uh, which wasn't the most safest place, but that's where right. we had the subway Not system. Not exactly Dana Point, yeah. but okay. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so we had the subway called, it was basically called BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit. So yep. that was kind yep. of like a little subway that went underneath the Bay Waters and ended up back in San Francisco. So I would get on that thing before the the work rush and uh, I'd make it to San Francisco and then I'd get on uh, this railway um, kind of like bus train that would get me all the way to the beach. And so that whole thing was like a good two hour one way trip doing it that way. And uh, yeah. I made some friends at the beach. Um, I just put my head down, was super determined. I wanted to learn how to surf and I met friends there that lived there. You know, long story short, I ended up leaving my boards there, um, made some really good time family friends and ended up spending every weekend there. And, um, you know, that's kind of what started it all. And I got a really good lay of land, surfed incredible waves. And then that kind of was like the the beginning of just it just kept escalating from there. And then, you know, getting into you know, skiing and snowboarding as I grew up, I started competing heavily into that. And that was kind of like a no brainer and surfing, you know, really complemented that on the, on the water side. And so I just kind of just kept going back and forth between those sports. And, uh, so was there where, so for you, you know, obviously, you know, and I've talked about this on a lot of the podcasts and obviously you're good friends with Dave Kalama. I've known Dave for years and, and it's funny, I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, God, it's like Dave Kalama and him were living like parallel <laughs> lives, right? Like when you, you know, because I got into all this with Dave too. Like, dude, how did you end up Mammoth, yeah, California, the Hawaii? Like, what happened? And it's like identical. Like he's like, yeah, I was gonna be a big, you know, downhill racer, and then I went. Oddly enough, his th Maui, yeah. right? There's something about Maui, man, because you're now like the third or fourth person <laughs> I've talked to that. Sure, we all talk about Hawaii, but people don't realize yeah. it's an island chain, right? It's it's. I find it funny that people, you know, you automatically assume, oh, well, they must have gone to like you know North Shore, and yeah. that's they get it. No, Maui, like, spoke to you guys, right? Like, yeah. this is oh my god, I love that. You know, Dave said he literally heard a. I'm gonna ask you this: Did you ever have that moment where you realized doing this stuff, adventure sports, whether it's surfing, skiing, whatever, this is what I'm. I want to do like figure out how to make a living doing this. I'm not, I don't want to be like my dad or, or, you know, what the but, schools are telling me yeah. I need to go and do, um, did well, that ever happen? I, yeah. You know what? My dad was all about school. Of course. My mom was also all about school, but she was also very, 
she had a great balance. Like sports was really huge. So she would take me out of school and take me to windsurfing races. And then I started getting good enough to where I competed as well. So I was like, okay, I want to do that. I'm not going to not do that. So I didn't go and play, you know, sports in school until later in high school. But, you know, so I, I would leave, you know, my mom would take me out of school and I'd go and, and do the windsurf thing. And I so did you, did you play team sports? Oh yeah, I did. I did later in high school. Yeah. But it wasn't my driving force. I mean, I was right. to do stuff with my mom and I was so into the water thing. And then windsurfing was just growing and, and pretty badass. And I was super into it. And then when it came to, you know, following her around doing the ski stuff, it, to me, that was just like normal. That's, that was just like, for us, that was doing that sports stuff. It wasn't like baseball, soccer, or anything like that. But for me, that was like our everyday thing. So I was like, okay, that's yeah. normal. But when I played that off with my friends at school, they'd be like, dude, aren't you know, let's let's go skateboard, you know, this weekend. I'm like, oh no, no, I'm going up to Tahoe to go ski, or oh no, I'm going to Hawaii to to go yeah. windsurf with my mom or whatever. And so it was a little different thing. And then I remember in uh, after high school. Um, but ready, you know, did college and stuff. And then I had like second year I was going to go. And then I remember I got this, like my dream job, basically. I got a contract from a windsurf company to travel around the world and um, be with them and have everything paid for. And I looked at like, okay, I'm going to go to school for physics or am I going to go travel the world and do what I've been trying to do my entire life. Right. And right. so it was the hardest conversation to have with my dad. But once I, so to speak, nutted up and, and said, all right, you know, um, once I said, hey, dad, um, it's hard for me to have this conversation with you. But, um, you know, um, this is I have something that's, you know, come across my plate that's. I've always dreamed about and I really feel strong about and I want your blessing and he he already knew about it and he told me why did it take you so long and I said because I was honestly petrified to ask yeah. your permission or even tell you because I had so much yeah. respect for you know how he basically you know um, taught you, me. I mean look you're, you're you probably have gone through the same thing I've gone I mean I, I came same thing I had a very competitive family um, you know I, I played competitive team sports, but different because I grew up in New York. So uh, the competitive team sports were fine during the school year. Uh, but the minute, you know, it got warm, my whole family, my dad in particular, was one design sit boat racer. That was like his hobby. Oh, yeah. And we raced professionally in that. So same thing, like it would come summertime and everybody like, hey, let's go skateboard and let's go. No, dude, I'm, I'm going over. I got to go race. I got to go out of town. I'm going on, you know, we're going to hit like three regattas over the next two yeah. weeks. <clears throat> and uh, people, you know, because I was way inland. Same thing. I didn't live on the water. I was way inland. And people would be like, what do you mean you're going? You're going to Connecticut to go to a regatta? What, what's a regatta? Like, what the hell are you talking about? And nobody, basically, Chip just disappeared every summer. Right. And I had a whole different group of friends yeah. and people that I knew from the racing circuit and the whole thing. I did one design laser, you know, the laser sailboats, fireballs, uh, 420s. And then uh, during the week, then I would race on ocean racers, you know, around Bermuda race. I'd crew uh, on those. And then my dad had his own one design, you know, boats, uh, Etchell's 22s and J24s and stuff like that, that that we were racing on. So that's how I spent my whole youth 
coming up, you know, all the way until I got to college. And even after college for a little while, I did it, you know, with my family. Yeah. Um, but same type of thing. What, what I found interesting was that, you know, as I look back on that now, I had that same influence though, where that programming of, I went to a very high uh, academic school where everybody was a 4.0. They even got rid of class rank my senior year because the parents protested because you could have a 4.0 and still be, you know, 125th in your class. And so they wanted to make sure the colleges, you know, everybody was trying to get into Ivy League and all this stuff. So there's this huge amount of programming from the parents and the school system. Go to school, not just go to school, but go to a really like competitive, mm -hmm. top-notch school, do four years, get into traditional work environment, corporate world, whatever it is, or be a doctor or attorney or what have you. And it sounds like, you, you know, obviously your dad was very much in that world, right? Like that's how he had been raised. And yeah. uh, where I'm kind of jealous, I told Dave Kalama the same thing. I'm like, I didn't, I, <laughs> I probably <laughs> wanted to do what you guys did, but I just went, no, I'm going to follow the program. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to try and get in the corporate world. And that's what I did. Um, I'm jealous of you guys that you either had an epiphany or just had that, that, that ability at a very young age to go, you know what? I don't think that aligns with who I am and where I need to go. And that's, uh, dude, that's pretty cool. That I mean, it's, I think, you know, like you said, everybody grows up a little bit different and it really depends on, I think, like what resources are kind of in front of us that I'd like to think that, you know, at our age, especially out of high school, college right there, there's that thought of like, okay, we're, after all this ends, we, we're pretty much, you know, we, we're, we're taking on a big responsibility. So there was that gamble of like my dad, I remember when, when I told him, he said, if that's what you want to do, you better do it 150% because if you come back, right. you have just wasted my time and especially yours. And I just remember that I, in my head, that just stayed, resonated so hard that I was like not going to blow it because I did not want to come back and, you know, eat my own words. And I remember right. a lot of my dad's scientists, cohorts and whatnot at work. We're always like, hey, what are you gonna do? You know, are you gonna, um, you know, you gonna go to Berkeley, do your thing, and and right. I, I kind of stuck it out, and I said, no, I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be an athlete, yeah, what? and and they're like, you can't make any money doing that. Don't yeah. waste your what time. Go That's to school. Not a job. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was kind of one of those things, and then when I had that opportunity to basically travel around the world and and do that. It was it was a gamble, but at the same time, it made me 150% happy. And I was yeah. like, I don't care what it takes, but I'm going to do it. And I ended up doing it for, with this one sponsor for, I think it was like six years. And the cool thing was, wow. it wasn't just windsurf. Like, I ended up, it just opened my mind. You know, with travel, you end up learning so much. Um, street smarts, whatnot, meeting people, you're dealing with corporate sponsorships. You know, I spent a lot of time in Europe. I was in Australia, um, you know, Hawaii. And I mean, it was just like the best thing for a kid that was, you know, like 20 to 22, yeah. you know, I was just yeah. like living the dream. So it was really cool. And, and, um, I kind of took that gamble and, and, uh, I just never looked back. And then I was kind of one of those where, I got bored easy, so I, I would set a goal with a sport and I'd just keep hammering it out. And then once I kind of got to that goal to where it didn't really interest me or I, I maxed out my interest or my learning, then I was like, 
okay, what's next? And before that really ever happened to me, and it happened so many times, I suddenly a new sport would come out or like, like yeah. windsurfing, you know, like from windsurfing and skiing and that, then I had snowboarding, then I kind of parlayed between the two. And then with windsurfing, I suddenly, it opened my eyes to surfing and suddenly had this little bag of tricks, you know, and I just kept going. And then I was so like drawn to the ocean and just sports in general, like getting that, that rush of just doing stuff in mother nature, you know, like in that playground where it wasn't like going to school and, and just reading books. It was like, I was learning from, you know, my actions out in the water or on the mountains. And, yeah. and, uh, and so every time I was about, you know, maxed out on like, all right, suddenly a new sport would happen. And then we had kiteboarding, wakeboarding started so did, going did off. You, did and, you feel like there was some kind of synchronicity going on? Like, totally. like almost like, you know, you chose this path and then you knew this about yourself though you probably didn't think about it all the time. And then, like you said, right around the time when you start to get a little tapped out, the universe would go, hey, Chuck, here's something new. <laughs> Why don't you try this, right? Definitely. And so I guess my question, because Dave, Dave and I talked about this, flashing forward to now, do you feel like, I know you're, you're you know, I think we're all similar in the fact that we're driven but do you feel like it's been work to get to where you're at now or to accomplish all the things you have accomplished? Does it feel like it was a lot of work? Mm, funny enough, no. I mean, maybe while you're doing it all, you know, you're grinding it out. But when I really look back at it, you know, I think it really comes down to I loved it so much and I still love it yeah. that it didn't feel like work at all. I, I ended up, I think, a lot of times having to kind of check myself and go, bro, you're so lucky to be able to do this. And so I really right. worked hard at like, um, you know, getting together sponsors that would complement what I wanted to do. So that was water and snow. And so sometimes I would get a bigger contract like with kiteboarding where I'd make really sick money, um, you know, for a couple of years. And so I would kind of put some of that money away. So then wintertime, I could go and grind it out and still travel skiing and film and do that right. and then or it'd be the other way around where I got a sick contract uh, with a you know winter brand and then suddenly I was like well if I do it right I can you know use that money and then rent a house in Maui for three months before the snow falls and so I started getting really crafty and then I started yeah. figuring out like they really work well together and then I was kind of ahead of my time as far as people were like why don't you concentrate on one sport um, and just kill it at that. And I just said, I just not, it's not my DNA to just be good at one thing. I, I'll be burned out so quick and I have more right. fun because I think all the sports really kind of like yin and yang, like they work well, yeah. they, they really, you know, complement each other and it helped me get better at another sport. Like I take a break from skiing and snowboarding. I powered out surfing get into kiting, uh, windsurfing, this and that, and suddenly I'd go back that next season with a whole new outlook, totally fit, ready to go, and hungry, and I'd kill it skiing. And I'd just do that every season right. with a different right. sport. And you know? by the way, for those listening and watching, when Chuck says killing it at skiing, he's not talking <laughs> about just going to the Black Diamond Slope and you know getting off the lift and, you know, 
saying <laughs> hi to some of the ladies and then cruising down the slope. It, 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 go check out photographs of what Chuck Patterson considers killing it. We're talking stuff that look today. They just do CG. Like in a movie, they just go, that's way too expensive to put a human body into that position. Not to mention the fact we have no idea whether it's going to pull it off. I mean, dude, I saw some shots of you going across roads and stuff on skis. Look, I don't know what from a perspective, I could probably do some math, but 60, 80 feet in the air, no idea where you're landing on the other side. This is not a <laughs> groomed slope someplace. You're just whatever's out there, you skied it. Whatever's at the bottom's at the bottom. Like, like I don't, people don't understand. And, and again, you know, that's not just Chuck skiing. That's Chuck in the water, you know, on, on frozen water, on liquid water. Everything's giant, huge, super risky. Uh, you'll see because I'm gonna I'm gonna quote some people that Chuck has that that endorse him and that he's known over the years. It's a common thread, man. You you go, you consistently. Everybody's like, yeah, I met Chuck. Boy, he I'm surprised he's still alive. Like, but you know that that's like kind of the way you you run your life. So, and one of the things too, by the way, and and, and I want to make sure we don't get too lost in too many places. But one of the things that I love about you because it, it 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 definitely speaks to my heart um you know when i was here on the east coast um uh, like getting into stand-up paddleboarding and people have heard this on on some other episodes that, that i've done um you know i was always constantly looking for something new right now maybe not to the extent that you've had available to you um but that has always been kind of my mo and um had been surfing moved to florida i was i was, I was surfing I, I you know I, i'm in front of actually a really nice surf break uh, I'm in the same area that Kelly Slater's uh, from, um, you know, Lopez Brothers, Hobbs Good Twins. These are guys I see in the lineups here on a regular basis. Um, so I was already doing surfing and doing all that, and I literally opened up an outside magazine, which you've been in outside magazine. You've been you've been in that in, in that magazine on a regular basis, just from your mm -hmm. who you are in the sport and and uh, et cetera. But um, I remember opening up an outside magazine. There was this little article about Laird Hamilton raising money for. Um, and this is probably like around 2005, six, somewhere in that range, uh, raising money for autism mm -hmm. uh, by biking from Paris to the Normandy coast and then jumping on this big yellow banana and paddling across the English Channel yeah. um, to the other side. And I was like, what the hell is that thing? And so I start doing some Google searches. And back then, anybody that knew anything about a stand-up paddleboard, which was little to none, their website looked like a looked like a MySpace page. I mean, it was ridiculous. I, I told the story. That's how I met uh, Todd Bradley and Brian Kailana with C4. Was um, uh, I ended up kind of tracking down who's making this big giant surfboard that I just saw a little picture in Outside Magazine of Laird paddling, and I went down to my surf tech dealer, and uh, who's a big one here in the area. Mike Mann's the owner, and I go, Mike, I go, what what's this thing? He goes, What the hell is that? It's like the size of a car. And so I go, I don't know, but it, apparently surf techs can be making it. He goes, Randy hasn't said anything about that. Hold on. So I, I'm in his office. He calls Randy French, who, who owns surf tech. And he goes, Randy, what the hell is this thing? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's a new thing. Yeah, we're doing something with Laird. Uh, you guys want to order some? Because they're not really ready yet. And this is like 2005, 2006. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it was like 2005. And so Mike's like, yeah, I got a guy here that, wants one he goes what can you do with my thing long story short they ordered three of them right sight unseen yeah 
but it was supposed to come in like three months. It was like a year and a half later. They call me up. They had my deposit for a year and a half. They call me up. They go, Mike Mann goes, dude, I don't know what the hell these things are. I had no idea what I was ordering. There's no room in my showroom. Come get this stupid thing. Oh, and by the way, it no longer comes with a paddle. And I go, what? So I go down. I pick up this board. I literally, I didn't even know how to carry it. There's no handle. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't put a handle in it or anything. So I'm trying to get it out of the shop. I got three guys helping me get it out. We're trying to figure out how to tie it on top of my Jeep. And uh, they're like, all right, cool. And I'm like, what? there's no you guys have no idea to how to get a paddle nope so i start searching i find c4 waterman todd bradley literally had his cell phone on there and he was making outrigger canoe uh, paddles and mm -hmm. just started making longer ones mm -hmm. and i remember calling todd on the phone he's coming back from the beach he answers his phone and he's like hey c4 waterman <laughs> like i go yeah i'm trying to find yeah man we can get you some so they I work with the with the, the 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 longboard house down here, and they order three paddles in. I got them a break on FedEx, and then I had to figure out how to cut the thing. And I don't know about you, but when I first went out to do it, 15 minutes I could stand something like that, and my legs would start all the little micro muscles because you, you weren't using them like that when you're surfing, and would start to just give out. And I go down on my knees, and I basically just goofed around, and then finally just caught a wave and. You know, in like all those movies that you've been in or, or some of the people that, that we've raced with and stuff that have been in or Jerry Lopez and stuff like Step Into Liquid and what have you. It was like, I, for you, I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, it was like, oh, like there was like angel voices and a light came down. And I was like, oh, my God, that was fun. I want to do that again. Yeah. And then I just got better and better. And then I started getting into the surf lineup and all of that. What was that like for you? Kind of just. You know, I know you've broken, and we're going to talk about that here in a second too. You've broken in a lot of new things that nobody's ever seen, especially in a surf lineup. Um, but what was it like stand up paddleboard? I mean, with the stand up thing, it was time? it was kind of cool because when I was in Maui is when I first saw Laird and those guys because they had a house in Maui and it was Laird and Buzzy, and they were basically yep. paddling with an outrigger canoe paddle, not a, not a normal one, but on their butts um you oh, know on funny. this board and i was like what and then later on i saw um i think it was like a couple weeks later that they had gotten a paddle and um it was one of the metal um shaft paddles from kiloa yeah like for boats yeah like for exactly boats so stuff, the yeah, paddle yeah. on that and i was like that's kind of cool but then i kind of looked at it as kind of hokey and i'm like ah, you know whatever and so when i got back to to cali to dana point i was like all right there's got to be something with that. So then I talked to um, the Infinity family, the Bainey family. Yeah. And they, he was making, he was a big time tandem surfer. And I said, hey, can I borrow one of your tandem that's right. boards? Because yeah. that's kind of what they were. And yeah. um, and then um, I got some kind of, I think it was like a sawed off kayak paddle that had one side. And I was yeah. paddling with it. And I was like, man, this is not what they're using. But it's, it's cool, but it's not really going to make it. So I ended up calling... And writing a letter to Kealoa, and I got to talk to Meg um, yep. Chun, and she, uh, her and and Dave Chun, you know, ran um, Kealoa. And I remember talking to her and saying, "Hey, I saw Laird and these guys do it. Um, I'm an athlete. Um, I really want to get into the sport. Um, I would like to buy one." And she was so sweet. She goes, "Hey, you know what? We'll give you." you know, a deal, let us know what you think. And if there's anything we can prove, whatever. And I was like, okay, right. cool. And then I went out and I went out at Sano the first time. And I remember it was like one, two foot waves and just the challenge of 
like punching through whitewater was such so awesome because it was such a challenge you yeah. eat shit whatever just to try to stay on was so much fun it's like we were, it was like we were kids again yeah right? it's like you were learning to surf all over again yeah You're and then cook, everybody in the water is awesome. looking don't at realize you how awesome that is yeah and then everybody's yeah. in the water looking at you like what are you doing you know and then the they're like can i try that yeah. you know and yeah and then it ended up being one of those things where i was like oh my god i gotta do it and then it was just like yeah the more you did it and and it was cool because laird and those guys were kind of they had the ear to what was going on with the sports. So they had, you know, different yeah. like surf tech and all that that were like, okay, we'll make whatever you want. And so he kind of right, led the right. charge on what was going to happen. And surf tech, you know, came out with some boards. And then I remember Mickey Munoz had a board that was really yeah. narrow. And, um, and well, that, that was a, tan I think that was a tandem board that oh, was they it? modified. Oh, okay, maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. I remember talking to, I think I talked to, to, to Mickey. Um, I talked to Randy French at the time oh, okay. about it. Yeah. That was basically like a tandem board. Gotcha. Like a big board, like the biggest board they made. Yeah. And they kind of like, I guess for the smaller guys, it'll work. Like, you know, it was it was just a way of quickly getting more yeah. stuff out, right? They already had the, the whole thing CAD designed totally. and, and in production. So it was easy to just pump up production and get more stand-up boards. But yeah. I think they, they knew at the time, like, yeah, this is a this is a temporary thing until we can get it out there. Yeah. And it was just neat to see where it went. And then it just kind of, you know, went right from that to that. And, and then looking back at all the different sports, the same thing happened with skiing, you know, the change from the small narrow skis to the parabolic right. fat skis that we have now. And then, you know, the snowboarding era. Um, and then with kiteboarding, I mean, it's just, it's just so cool. Like you said, it was kind of like synchronicity where it just each sport, fell into my lap or my timing was so perfect where I could just jump over from one yeah. to the next. And they all, at the end of the day, connected somehow and created this love for water and snow. And, and, you know, it just kept me hungry the whole time. So speaking of outside the box, so we've got, you got all these sports that, that aligned with your career and kind of took off and you were at the forefront of a lot of these. Uh, when are we getting mass production? of the uh, big wave ski boots and skis <laughs> that you've been doing. So again, people go go Google Chuck Patterson, skiing, actual skiing, uh, Jaws in Maui, and, and or maybe it was Mavericks. Was it Mavericks you skied? No, the first, the first place I went to was um, in Northern California. Uh, Northern like a, California, yeah, okay. And it was like Cayucas or something like that, but yeah. It was pretty so, and I know a lot of people were like, what? Yeah. But I got to tell you, man, you, you, you flash forward because of all this progressive stuff that's been going on. Have you been feeling like people are more kind of like, you know what? You might have something there, Chuck. Like have, have people kind of warmed up to it a little bit. Cause yeah. obviously you're like the guy who's good at it. Cause you were the first one to, yeah. to say, I'm gonna put ski boots on. And I mean, in the, in the, in the wave. Yeah. In the beginning. I mean, I think if we didn't have, if we, if if athletes or anyone didn't think outside of the box nothing would really you know evolve like right, right. where it's at now so not saying that i was thinking that way but it was learning all these different sports and coming from a ski background and then spending so much time big wave surfing and it just kind of those two you know you're dealing with a big playing field you're dealing with you know big waves big mountains it's it kind of all was kind of the same you're dealing with speed and so um having 
a friend of mine, uh, Shane McConkey, who's um, a Red Bull athlete who passed a long time ago, but we all grew oh, up skiing great, together. Yeah. And he was kind of the one that changed skiing from the uh, small skis to, he ended up taking a pair of water skis down um, this insane run in Alaska and just killed it. And he just was able to stay on top of the powder and go twice as fast. And so he started kind of the revolution of changing, you know, to parabolic skis, you know, skis that were a little bit wider that you could really kind of float. And then I remember, um, you know, that I did both and he was always like, you know what, you should take a pair of these water skis and um, try it in the waves because, I mean, you're doing the wave thing. I mean, we already know it works in the snow. And so I kind of like a year or two later, got a pair of jumper water skis and they had no side cut. I didn't know what was up, but I was like, well, I'm a good athlete, so I can give it a shot. I went to Maui. Had I'll a buddy figure it out. I'll figure it out when I'm in the 40 foot wave. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I was kind of like, a, what can I, happen? I love you all know? you guys. Dave, <laughs> Dave Clement told me that about like Jerry Lopez, like with like nobody had ever surfed Jaws in in Maui, yeah. and Jerry was like one of the first crew who was like, "Yeah, sure, why not? Let's go do it. We don't know what we're doing, but we're gonna go. Let's take an inflatable and exactly. sure, let's go. Let's go see what we can do." I don't know. I don't really quite understand the whole. Let's figure it out in the in the extremist point. <laughs> of what you're trying to accomplish was there not like you know hey let's take it to a smaller break test it out a little bit i what i, I think the there's that, behind that i think there's that confidence level that you have you've been doing yeah. doing you you've been testing your you skills just skip and, all the beginners parts <laughs> and just get to the most extreme first and figure it out then yeah, yeah i always learned like i had people always they you know it's either you read the instructions when you're building a model plane or you throw the instructions <laughs> away too. and you go i'm yeah. visual i will make it happen and the same went to when it came to learning anything i learned so much better when i made the mistakes myself versus someone yeah. warning me yeah. and i think when it came into doing that kind of stuff and jumping you know, both feet in full bore. Um, I think I, I actually was more on top of my game when it was like that. Cause I knew the big wave scene. I knew how the ocean worked. I knew how skiing worked and to put the two together. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I'm a good swimmer. I know, you know, as long as my driver is on it, um, I will take care of the rest. And so there was a little risk involved of like, what if, but that was so behind me because I was so confident that it was going to work. I had visualized it. I'm like, it's not going to matter. And the right. looks I got from that first day when I went out just to try I was try just going to say that. It's it's like showing up at the Santa paddleboard for the first time. Yeah, exactly. And a surf lined up. Yeah, yeah. And then you show up at a big wave <laughs> spot with skis and poles and people are like, what? Huh? Yeah, I, I yeah. remember the first day I was with a bunch of friends. We were towing this area in Northern California and it was just me and a couple, you know, team tow teams. And so I had had the skis and all water skis and all that in my boots and I had them in a bag. And so when we were loading up the jet skis, you know, with our surfboards and all that, I had put everything in a bag and I threw it in the top, you know, put the boots in the front hatch. And then I put the skis in this big kind of bag. So it was all zipped up and I put that in the gunnel and they're like, what is that? And I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so my tow partner, you know, who I was, pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was driving with, he knew what was going on, but he just kept his mouth shut and whatever. And so I said, all right, so we get out long story short, we're surfing this killer, 
you know, big reef break and, you know, it's like 40 foot uh, waves, but just perfect. Nothing too gnarly, but just really clean, you know, peeling left and right. And we're having a great time and it's glassy. And then we're kind of getting close to the end of the session and I'm like, you know what? I have it here. I got to give it a shot. So we drove kind of a little further away from the break. And so those guys would do their own thing and they wouldn't look at us. And so I'm sitting there. I'm trying to jam my foot in the ski boot. I didn't really figure out having wet feet, dry ski boot didn't work. And so all these things were, I'm just going through it. So it took me like 45 minutes to get my boots on. Finally figured that out, put my ski, you know, put my, you know, feet in the ski, in the ski bindings and clicked in, had my vest and I'm like, okay. Then I had, you know, I grabbed my ski poles, you know, cause I had the straps because to me, that's how I grew up skiing and that's what makes sense. And so I didn't think sure, that was weird not? at all, you know. <laughs> You're skiing, might as well have the poles. Yeah, you know, you know so. You gotta, you gotta hold, even though you have to t- hold the toe line, <laughs> the poles aren't gonna do anything on the water. Sure, why not? It, it, so, it, I will tell you this, man. It gave a great aesthetic when I saw the photos. <laughs> I was like, well, I know what he's doing. We all clearly know what he's doing. He's yeah. skiing on a wave. Okay. Yeah. That's so, funny, man. It, it was pretty classic. So then I went and, you know, grabbed the rope and my buddy went to tow me. And instantly when I came in close to the lineup, my two the two tow teams came up and they're towing their buddies out. And they're looking at me like, what? the hell hell is they're like oh my god i gotta see this they're like let's watch this guy eat it you know (laughs) and uh so sure enough um oh you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna blow it on battery here shoot um can you plug in are you you able to plug in yeah i'm gonna need like one second to run to my office yeah go ahead man sorry it's all good give me one second it's all good For everybody listening, we're just we're, we've got a technical pause going on um, as Chuck goes to get a uh, a power plug to plug in. All right. Hey Chuck, just so you know, this this is a full-on synchronization. Dave Kalama had the exact same thing. Happen. <laughs> exact same thing all of a sudden he's like oh no i i don't i gotta wait a minute hold on and the problem was he was on a iphone oh yeah which is why why now i'm always like don't please just use a laptop yeah dave did an iphone well he had no way of unplugging his headset and plugging his phone in so he had to turn the whole thing sideways it's just falling over and he's trying to get it set up then he's got unplugged so now the audio all changes yeah but it's all good man we we're we're all just kind of roll with it yeah, it's all good. So, but yeah, getting back to the story. So, um, so I'm towing out, and meanwhile, the tow teams are looking at me like, "Oh, this is going to be complete chaos." Let's watch this. So, I take off. We get to a, a big set comes, and I'm yelling at my partner to do a big turn so I can kind of whip into it. And he gets me, and he's riding down the face, and then I, I get all the speed, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm good." So I let go. I end up riding down. And I'm like, "Whoa." This thing works actually pretty good. So the wave starts to rear up pretty hard. I'm flying down kind of in the flats, do a turn, come back, and then it hits the inside section. I didn't really realize, you know, how much faster or slower the skis are, but I did know that you had to be in the pocket all the time. Anytime I got out on the shoulder and, and my speed, speed would slow down. The, and so I kind of was purpose. feathering it out. Yeah. Yeah. And Sure enough, the whole thing blew up behind me, 
exploded. I lean back. I'm like, I'm not going down. I'm not prepared because I don't know what's going to happen. So I lean right. back in it and I'm just, I got my ski poles and I'm just trying to balance. And it, I disappear and then suddenly I come flying out and I make it to the channel and I'm just like, oh my God. And all my buddies are like, awesome. are you serious? We thought you were dead, you know? And so I grab the rope and I'm like, dude, I need another 15 more, you know? And, right, right. and then every run, it just got better and better. And then suddenly I was going, this is way more fun than toe surfing. Just because yeah. it was just, it brought me back to skiing and suddenly I'm yeah. doing it on a big canvas. And then from there, it just, I mean, I remember that day, some guy from from the cliffs or whatever um, shot a shot of it and it ended up being on the back page yeah. of Surfer Magazine. And then that was kind of yeah, full man. chaos where it was just like, okay, this guy now, obviously is an idiot. A ski company doing didn't a ski company do an ad with you yeah so i had like bogner fully geared up like as if you're on a snow mountain yeah so okay. as it more escalated and I, I put more time into it i and i was living part-time in in maui i ended up um getting a bogner which was a, a very famous and ritzy uh ski company that makes incredible right. ski clothing Over europe right in, yeah in germany yeah and um they uh, were all about doing really cool things that are out of the box and different, you know, and like like Crazy taking a surfboard. Stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, that's like that's like you got like <coughs> uh, that, that's that's like under. Chuck Patterson, I do crazy stuff. Like that's like your, that's like your, you walk around with that. You just have that on a t-shirt, just right, on the back, you know. just says, I do crazy stuff. That's it. Yeah. So that's they, they were, they were, they were really cool, and they were like, going, all right, we like what you're doing, and we want to do this, you know, uh, for our ad campaign for a couple of years. Would you be into it? Would you be into wearing? Um, it was just before the Olympics, and yeah. would you be into wearing one of our speed suits that we, that our German team is going to wear? And, um, and I was like, uh, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, and, and then they're all, well, we're going to pay you this. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll do it. No problem. I'll, I'll wear totally a speedo. What you else want, you got you know? me to wear? Yeah. You have anything else? We do just on a, on a per diem, like everything that I wear, I just get the same amount of money for each thing. That'd be really cool. Yeah. So that's it was, awesome. It was really funny. So I get this box in Maui at home and, and I'm like, oh, cool. Wonder what it is. And sure enough. And it's a bright white with zebra stripes. <laughs> like speed suit and then a helmet uh leather gloves and then white ski goggles and i'm like are you kidding it's everything me? i'm yeah. all i don't know if i can do that you know and so i had to kind of improvise and the guys were very like hey we need you to wear everything and i was like all right i'm, I'm to make this work so i kind of was like all right all right, so I ended up taking the goggles, the lenses out because I'm all, that's not going to work and yeah. put the helmet on and I was like, boy, this really feels pretty ridiculous, but I'm going to go for it. So I had uh, a really good uh, producer guy, Mike Waltz, who's uh, he's one, one of the tow team, you know, strap crew, yeah. um, ex-pro windsurfer um, and then he's big time producer of films and stuff. So he was like, all right, I'm going to film this, get it dialed out. So we, he got a helicopter and uh, had my tow partner. We figured out a zone to do it. And um, I skied, it was like 10, 15 foot faces, nothing big, but I uh, just ended up skiing this little point break, you know, off one of the reefs out at, um, out off Maui with no one around and just got some insane footage. And they came out with a really sick little video. 
and yeah, I just, so, yeah, they're really cool. Yeah, and it was just kind of it was a kind of a neat thing. And then the next year, I did it even you know bigger, and then did more stuff at Jaws right. and whatever. But it was just neat to do something where my thought process of something out of the box, but really having fun, not to prove anything, more right. so that yeah, I know it can be done, and it actually works, and it's super fun, and then make a little yeah. money off that was such yeah. a cool thing, you know. Yeah. No, I, I mean, look, that's one of the things, you know, I, I, I've always been that guy here, obviously not skiing on waves, um, but I've always been that guy here who I don't care what it is. If it's in the water, uh, I'll do it. It's fun on top of the water, in the water, under the water. I'm always willing to try out anything new. I don't really care. Um, and that was one of the things that, you know, when I talked to Dave Kalama about this, and I know you've spent time in Makaha too. For me personally, that's what Makaha it's kind of their vibe, right? Like nobody yeah. judges anybody as long as you're having fun, right? Yeah. And and as long as you're having fun, they don't care if you take a picnic table out and surf it. It's it's all good. Um, and that's kind of, you know, like I said, that's why I wanted to have, have you come in and do an episode. I'd love to have you do more episodes too, um, is because you, you kind of embrace that whole thing. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, and I want to talk about a couple things, more things with you if you've got time. If you're, if totally. you're still good on yeah. time, we're going to keep going. So to, I, I really love, you know, I haven't done this with a lot of uh, the guests we've had on for episodes, but because you're just so good, I want, I, you know, I really want to <laughs> highlight this because um, it says a lot, right? Like, I, I, you know, we, we all have envisioned in our head who we are, what we've done. We have our goals, our dreams, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then to hear other people quote their perception of you. And I want everybody listening. I'm going to read a couple of these. Look for the common thread, because Chuck definitely has a, a common thread going on. Jerry Lopez, known as Mr. Pipeline, anybody who's not familiar with who Jerry Lopez is from a waterman standpoint probably remembers uh, him uh, in a pretty pivotal role in the original Conan the Barbarian movie <clears throat> um, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But Jerry is definitely the epitome of a soul surfer uh, dude and, and legendary in the surfing and water sports community. But uh, Chuck knows Jerry very well, and, and here's I'm going to quote Jerry Lopez. Chuck, what a guy. Talent, skills, muscle, good looks, but also good manners, compassion, and time for everyone. They don't make, any, they don't make many units in this model <laughs> with all these features and options. So whenever he drives by, if the door opens, and it usually does, jump in quick because his foot is, on, is only on the gas pedal. He went on to say, uh, that he, uh, there's no need for a brake pedal because he's never going to use it. So you can kind of get an idea. I like that, dude. I really loved that quote because I know Jerry. I've met him a few times. I, I, I love that that the way the way he described you, um, Robbie Nash. Uh, and again, here's that synchronicity again, right? Uh, Dave Kalama tells me that when he had the epiphany and then moved to Maui, the first guy he meets is Robbie Nash, and then ends up. Again, windsurfing was kind of his entry. He went from skiing and windsurfing, whole thing, and, and, and has been part of the whole Nash family. Uh, Robbie, for those who don't know, um, I mean, look, I'm a kid from, from, from New York, from Westchester County. Uh, I was a big sailor. Uh, we had started getting into windsurfing when I was in high school. Uh, nothing compared to what you guys have done. Please, everybody understand that. I, was, I would have been the guy on the 14-foot uh, bick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lake lake board trying to surf waves in in cape hatteras north carolina that was the extent of my windsurfing um but because it was so cool to me 
and I and I aspired to it. I, I told Dave this. I had pictures of Robbie uh, uh, when I was in high school on my wall, right? Because he was the world champion, pulling airs, doing crazy stuff. So Robbie Nash says this about Chuck: as a friend and ambassador for for the Nash brand, I'd rather go on a surf trip with Chuck than just about anyone uh, than just about anyone because of his contagious desire to be in the water hour after hour above anything else. Um, Dave Kalama who you've heard us talk about. And, and obviously there's another episode with Dave Kalama as well. He's previous guest. I love what Dave says, because this is definitely Dave's personality. Dave, Dove say, D- Dave says, I'm not sure I really like Chuck. He's the only person, uh, the only person I know that's having more fun than me. Mm-hmm. Actually, I love people that love having fun. So I guess that puts Chuck at the top of my list <laughs> because that boy loves his fun. Not many people are willing to dedicate their lives to their passion and truly accept all that come with good and bad. Chuck is one of those rare individuals that has completely fallen in love with life and is going to get every single smile out of it that one man can. And for that, I admire him and I'm thankful to call him my friend. Now that one almost gets me a little teared up there, Chuck. Me too. Dave's Dave's definitely a a salt of the earth, no pun intended, uh, because everybody, we're all into water, but uh, Mickey Munoz, who those who don't know, also another legendary, also known as the Mongoose. Um, Mickey Munoz says uh, that Chuck has hung it out most of his life, and he's surprised he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that man. That's my favorite. That 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 quote is fantastic. Um, it, it, there's one other one. Oh, for the, we didn't. I haven't even talked about this. So. Before I read this next quote, the next quote that I have here is from Nick Woodman, who's the founder and CEO of GoPro. For those of you who don't know, you more than likely have seen a Chuck Patterson photo, even though he doesn't bill himself as the photographer. Uh, when it comes to GoPro, which for those of you who don't know what a GoPro is, it was the founding action sports camera. So obviously it found its way into the hands of, of Chuck Patterson as an action sports athlete. Um, tell me a little bit, before I quote Nick, tell me a little bit about that, Chuck. Like, what? How did that change for you, being able to now record and share with people what you'd already been experiencing your whole life? Because I know for me, that was a big, that was a big thing for me when, when the GoPros first came out. I mean, for me, that whole, the introduction of the GoPro was, was I think, we kind of all didn't really know what to expect, although it was cool. You didn't have to have a photographer following you around, and it allowed the athlete to kind of show his own perspective, you know, kind of like a point of view of the athlete. So it's almost when you went to see the video that they got, you feel like you're sitting on their shoulder doing the same thing they are. And we kind of started learning this, the more we started doing sports with it and changing, you know, the angles and, and, you know, where we put it, whether it's on the surfboard tip, you know, or on the paddle or on the helmet, it just added a whole new dimension of, um, you know, catching video and photos. And for me, um, it was just, it was just, I was just stoked to get footage for myself, you know, and, and, and it was, this was kind of before social media really kicked in. So it yeah. was just kind of like, did you have, did and, you have one of the original little yellow ones? Yes. I, I have, still have mine. Oh, so do I. I have one, yeah. No, 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 uh, no fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't even know what the megapixel was. It's nothing compared to what it is now. Oh, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I had, the, and it was a, it was a wrist strap. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. I still have mine. I, I've held on to it for prosperity, I guess. Yeah, no, that's good. But I mean, that was kind of yeah. the whole thing. Like we were kind of checking it out. Remember we had the, the SD card in there and then the batteries yeah. would go really quick or sometimes, you know, they get, I mean, there was just so much R and D we were going through and then every yeah. year the cameras got better and better and then social media kicked in and then it was all about, um, you know, showing what we were doing and we were doing sports every day and something different. So it was such a perfect thing to have. Um, and then it just became kind and that of, blew up your, that's, that's when Instagram for you really just kind yeah. of like, yeah, right? like exactly. just blew up because you, you've got a huge following yeah, on so Instagram was, and I think GoPro is a big part of that. No. Yeah, that totally helped. And that made it really exciting because it allowed you to do different sports. And then for me, I really enjoyed like just show, presenting a different angle that no one else had. So I was always right. fighting for building something different or going, maybe I can, he only puts it on the nose. Maybe I can put it on the side of the rail. So I get a little more of this. And so it really made it fun in a way, but it was work. I mean, there was times when we were at jaws and we had the camera on the tip of our, you know, stand up paddle board or surfboard. And you know, you'd be waiting for sets and it's like 40, 50 foot surf. And then you're like, to save the battery, you're like, okay, I'm going to turn it off and I'll turn it on yeah, just before I, I, I go. Yeah, same thing. And it was off such on, a off stress. On, off on. Yeah. Yeah, and it was such a yeah. stress to go do that and then suddenly paddle and then try to be in the spot. And then God, forbid, God forbid, when you go to go turn it on, you push it too far and now it's pointing up in the air and you're like, God damn it. Holy. And then you have the, like the best ride and you're like, all I got was sky. Yeah, yeah. yeah or you on. basically thought you turned it on, but you really turned right. it off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've had all those experiences, every yeah. single one. And I remember people looking at me. It was bad enough that I was out with a stand-up paddleboard, but I was, I loved putting it on the bottom of the paddle. So people would be watching me, and I'm trying to like catch a wave, and waves coming. I'm, I'm like, like you, like you're doing. You know, I'm, I'm leaving it off to save the battery. So yeah. I'm turning it on, make sure I got it on the right setting. Do I have it on three shots yeah. every whatever so many seconds, or am I on video, whatever? And then the wave's still coming, and then you're putting it down, and then it's throwing off the weight of the paddle. So then you're paddling like crazy, and then you're hoping that you tighten the screw down enough that as you go to catch the wave, it doesn't cock the camera, exactly. and then you end up just catching nothing but you know, really cool glassy water photos, um, and nothing <laughs> of what actually happened. Yeah, I've been through all of that, man. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really cool. So Nick Woodman, again, CEO and founder of GoPro, Chuck's got to be the world's best multi-sport extreme athlete. The guy rips waves on all sizes with the speed and energy of a Grom, skis and snowboards, TGR-worthy lines, water skis into enormous waves with a smile uh, that you can see from shore, by the way. Uh, that's, that's, that's Nick's quote. And speed flies on top of it all. Chuckles, I'm getting tired of my kids asking me why I'm not as rad as you and how come my muscles aren't as big as yours. It's going to be even worse now that you're 50, that you're a 50 year old real life action figure. I love you like a brother. Dude, that's a, that's fantastic. I love the comment about his kids. Yeah. Right. Um, which is fantastic. Karen Wren, who, for those of you who don't know, is also a, a world uh water woman water athlete you know windsurfing paddleboarding the whole thing um she says she'll trust chuck with her kids dude that's an endorsement <laughs> right there I, I didn't have to read the other ones karen says she'll trust you with your kids done she's got uh, some awesome stig, kids too <laughs> yeah St stig uh severson uh who's a four-time free diving world champion and co-founder uh of breathology 
uh, you did, you've also worked with him. You did a spot for 60 minutes with him, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is, as we get, now we've talked all about kind of Chuck Patterson, how he got to here. I want to get into a little bit more esoteric stuff, especially coming off those quotes. Cause they're saying a lot about you, right? Um, one of the things I love and, and I, and I think I'm, I'm pretty confident in, in boiling all that down, um, that, that, you seem to have a common thread. The common thread with Chuck Patterson is, first of all, fun. Everybody, no matter who I've ever talked to uh, or, or read about you or sp spent time with you, one, you're always smiling, always looking to have fun, right? You are basically, no matter what age you are, you're still 12 in your head, right? And you act like it. And dude, that is magnetic. Um, the other thing that I always hear talked about you, that you, you have a tremendous amount of respect for those you work with. Uh, and then you're around, uh, you have a huge amount of humility, even with all the huge success you've had, you have a tremendous amount of compassion. I'm going to talk about a couple of the charities I know that are, that are near and dear to you. Um, it, there's a tremendous amount of commitment, passion. Um, speaking of all that, I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss this. You've got, you volunteer and you're ambassador for uh, miracle for kids and TheraSurf. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know what, I mean, being that I've moved now, um, you know, this year has been kind of a tough one to um, still be able to uphold sure. that, but I'm definitely going to do some this summer, but um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a great way to kind of give back, and I've, I've had, like Dave Kalama um, does a lot of that stuff, and we've joined um, forces in doing some stuff for cystic fibrosis, and um, just helping kids you know get out there and be able to enjoy the ocean the way we do and so there's so many great programs miracles for kids um therasurf has been awesome because you can go and we'll you know grab these kids and take them surfing and we've done a bunch of cool stuff in malibu and um it's just a a way to kind of share what we do every day and the minute those kids touch the salt water their smile is as big as anything you've ever seen. And that to me, just it just it just makes you, you know, feel deep inside like you're doing something right. And it's like I I tell everybody, you know, if you ever get a chance, just just once to just participate and help and those kids will melt your heart, you know? And yeah. And it's an awesome thing. So I mean, I've been very fortunate to you know, be there and help along many athletes, you know, um, put their time in and, and um, in, you know, enjoy sharing the smiles and, and fun things that these kids love about surfing or being in the, in the water or just, just enjoying the beach life, you know, being on the water. So it's been right really on. cool. So now doing all the stuff you've been doing, um, you've traveled the world uh, from Indonesia to every every corner from your perspective what do you see globally um that as a as a human race we really need to be paying more attention to obviously we're all aware of what's going on in the oceans we're going on all, all of that but did, have you found that there's like a uh, there's a common energy thread among no matter whether whether there's a language barrier i'm sure you know i know you you've had experiences where everybody around you isn't speaking english you may not actually speak your language but yet you know you see the photos and i see the videos and it's like that doesn't seem to matter right what for you what has that experience been like what do you find 
is is something that maybe we're not all resonating with right now and 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 that you found to be that that thing that just is connecting everybody that that you're working with i mean I, you know for me it's i think especially after this last 2 years of world changing in my mind nightmare um it's in right. my mind what i've noticed in a bad way is that it's really separated everyone and beforehand it just seemed like whether it's politics racism whatever everyone was kind of together there wasn't a big separation of like you know f those guys and i'm this way or you know i'm blue i'm red whatever it seems to be more separated now than it's ever been in my entire life which is really sad and it's it seems like there's people that i mean and i know we have it between maybe even all of our own friends that we have that one friend that suddenly you can't even talk to because they their their thought process is so different and it's just sad because in my mind I'm I'm very open and everyone's got a right to their own opinion but it's sad that normal people that we've all been friends and share the same love for the ocean or whatnot suddenly have become totally different people and it's really yeah. kind of torn a lot of communities in my mind apart and the only thing that kind of brings me and a lot of other people together is sports and the love for ocean and I'm I'm very thankful for that because that's the one place I can go and go no matter if the world is on fire and going to shit I can go to the ocean and feel a sense of calm and go all right I'm kind of at home now you know and how do I with the actions that we do how do we get it back you know how how do we get yeah that community to come back to where people have that trust in each other and and don't judge and suddenly going you know what it's about love it's about your family and um it's not about politics money this and that or stand up for what you think is right don't hide you know and it's just it's tough like you want I'm I'm a I'd like to think I'm I'm a very humble person and but at the same time when I don't think something's right and I really disagree with it and I look at kind of the future of it for me I'll go out of my way and and you know and and say you know that I don't agree with it you know and sometimes I found you know especially now that I've had friends that disagree with me and I go okay I get it but then I you know look back and go well maybe for that reason we shouldn't be friends anyway but it's just sad that it's gone that way it seems like before that stuff didn't really matter as much but now yeah when it really matters to be unionized you know where everybody's together yeah. to where we can really fight a couple of these things that shouldn't be happening we're even more separated and you can't do anything with that which is tough yeah I, I, i've been finding that uh, what I went through the same experience you've gone through, right? Where you're kind of like, wow, where'd this person come from? Like, I've known you a long time. We've had a shared interest, whatever it is, had a lot of good times together. And all of a sudden, wow, you like, I didn't what, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're no longer able to connect with them, uh, on the same level. And one of the things I've kind of gone through the same catharsis. One of the things I've started to do recently is to circle back to some of those people and have more of a, just an open discussion of, Hey, I'm, I, I know we don't think or feel the same way, right? I, I get that. Um, but help me understand, help me understand why you think that way or why you want 
that part of the world to be a certain way or why you don't think another part of the world should be a certain way. Help me understand it because I get that we're not, we may not agree, but I think if we can just find the commonalities of where we may still be the same or whatever it is, the goal is we're trying to achieve, and even though we might be on different paths to get there, um, I think it helps to have that conversation. Um, and I've been recommending that to everybody. I mean, I've literally gone back to people that I haven't talked to in years and said, Hey man, I'm really sorry. Or, or if it's a man or woman, I've got, you know, I've, like you both genders doesn't matter. Um, I, I know we've gone through this. I, I know we kind of had a falling out. I want to better understand. I'm not coming back to see if you now agree with me. Um, because in some way, and I'm going to, I, I tend to do this in, in a lot of the podcasts. I bring things full circle. You've talked about how things in your life have always aligned where you get to that point of where you're bored and then all of a sudden the new thing comes in. It's kind of like that for me with all this stuff, right? Like I feel like we've come full circle and it's time to get back together and just say, hey, you know what? It's cool you don't think that, but let's talk about like, like I want to better understand it and maybe in understanding it and if you're willing to sit and listen to me, we'll find, you know, maybe there's 10 things, nine of them, maybe we don't align. But maybe there's one, right? And if that one is enough, we can rebuild on that. And I, I just kind of feel like, like if the world will start doing that, we could, I mean, at the end of the day, and this is, you know, for those of you new to Blue Rock or uh, that have been listening all along, uh, this is one big Blue Rock, right? There's no skin color, uh, race, religion, uh, country, border. It doesn't, this is, we're all human beings. This is one giant planet. And though all those parameters may have served a, served a purpose in the past, I don't think as a planet we can keep going like that. We have to start bringing it all together. So, uh, and, and obviously, Chuck, that's one of the reasons why you know I, I, I kind of had you on. Uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I wanted to make sure I covered it only just because of all of the things you've experienced. And it is a little bit more on the esoteric side. <laughs> have you ever had a near-death experience. Obviously, you've had bad wipeouts. You've clearly put yourself in dangerous situations where they don't always work out the way you planned. Um, have you ever had anything like that occur to you? And again, I know it's kind of a, like a little bit of a, I'm talking about global love, and I just went, hey, near death? <laughs> I know it's a little bit of a right turn, but not so much, because I want to see what you felt or what what's occurred in your life. Um. I could say like I, I equate it to like a cat with nine lives. I've had some very, very close calls to where they could have gone either way. Yeah. And um, I somehow made it out. I'd say I probably had a handful. But one that sticks out was like a giant day at um, I was actually stand up paddling on the biggest day uh that that everybody was surfing and um i remember it was just it was probably solid 60 foot with a couple 70 foot sets coming through and uh wasn't a big pack but it was definitely the best of the best when it came to big wave surfers that were out there and i was the only stand-up guy and i was you know super into just still pushing that torch of you know going big and uh so I went out and uh, I ended up taking off on a pretty big set, you know, way up the point. And um, I took off and as I was making the 
the drop, the bottom turn, the wave broke, and it basically, the whitewater had caught the tail of my board, and I couldn't outrun it. And so it just basically spit the board out in front of me, and I ended up eating it going up and over the falls. And you can see in the video, like you see my whole body and board go over. And as I went up and over with the lip, I ended up pile driving the board with my head and broke it in three pieces and kind of knocked myself out for like a split second. Yeah. And I remember I had a vest on, an inflation vest, but I remember grabbing for it and I couldn't, I couldn't find the strings and they're right there, but I couldn't for some yeah. reason grab and I'm underwater and I'm have my eyes open and it's light blue, dark, and I just couldn't get it. And suddenly I look up and I, you know, I see another wave explode and so that means I'm under the water for two waves now and I start to panic a little bit and I'm still trying to figure it out and then I'm like all right just chill work your way up and I kept swimming up and it was taking forever and I was going maybe this is it you know maybe this is it so I just kept swimming swimming and then suddenly I heard a jet ski motor like it was pretty loud like you know from underwater go by yeah. and I'm like Oh, hold on, dude, you're, you're there. And so I just kept going and I finally make it up just in time to see actually Victor Lopez, uh, Jerry's brother, who was doing water safety yeah. for Kai and myself, zip by and he's yelling at me, hey, Chucky, you know, and I basically popped up and I turn around and I see this next wave breaking and it looked like a hundred foot wave and I'm like, oh my God. And so I... Remember, before I went down, I looked at where my handles were, and then I went and dove as deep as I could go, and I just got obliterated, and then pulled, that whole thing inflated, and I pulled again, and it inflated, but it, I felt like it held me down, I never got up, and I was freaking out, and I'm like swimming, swimming, yeah. swimming, and finally make it up, and then take a couple more on the head, and then Victor grabs me on the inside, but that was the one time where, where I definitely felt like... I had that choice, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, I've heard way worse stories. It wasn't like where I'm like, I'm definitely checked out. I don't think I'm going to make it. I just had right. that where like, well, maybe this is it, but I didn't have my life flash in front of me completely. I just had right, a couple right. things, but I was like, I call those, I, there was, there was a guy I worked with on one of the <laughs> podcasts. I, I, I don't know whether this is a thing. I just call it that. I call it the al almost death experience yeah. Yeah, 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 where exactly. you didn't get, you didn't, you didn't go into something real you know out of body thing but it was that moment where you're like that was close like that was that was about as close as i ever want to get you know type yeah. of a thing prematurely at least as far as that goes. i mean i have i've had like dozens of those like i've been stuck in an avalanche i almost killed all my friends in an avalanche and I mean, they're just you know but i mean it go it comes with the territory you know it's just like that risk yeah is yeah. i mean not why we do it but it's what is what it keeps so us going. when you've come out the other side of that right so what what is it what has it done for you as a as a human meaning like do you come away from that thinking seeing the world differently i just kind of go eh, I, it was just it's all part <laughs> of the course no i think it 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 definitely ensures respect that i have to give to that situation more so than I did before. So it really kind of helps me like understand like, okay, dude, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about that, you know, you learned the hard way, but now you're going to learn from it. Right. So you don't want to do that again. So 
it's kind of helped me manage that risk management a little bit better. And then I've found that I kind of keep myself as we get older, we get wiser. And so I keep myself from putting myself in those situations so easy when you're young, you're like, ah, whatever. But as I get older, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I've been there. I don't need to take off on the wave super deep. I can take off on the shoulder a little more. So you're really more calculated to totally. with your risk now than when you were younger. Yeah. yeah. And you, I mean, I just look at, like, I've been very lucky where I haven't spent time, a ton of time in hospitals, this and that, where I've had these wreckages where I've had to come back from three years or whatever. I've been super fortunate. But that also comes from all these lessons that... I just I learn and then I just recalibrate and then and then if if I'm still kind of pushing that limit I just recalibrate and go at it at a different angle you know so cool. yeah it's uh it's pretty cool well listen Chuck, I, I I got a whole lot more to talk to you about <laughs> I'm gonna definitely have you come back if you want to would love to one of the things we do on, on Blue Rock, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. One of the things we, we do on Blue Rock at the end is I'm gonna ask you three different words. You can answer it with whatever first comes to mind. It could be a single word, a sentence, a thought, whatever it is. So the first word is peace. Love. That takes me to the second word. The second word was love. <laughs> you're not gonna get out that easy, man. Not gonna get, you're not getting out that easy. So what do you think of when you, what do you think of when, when I say the word love? community nice and the last one who's that's near and dear to all of our hearts aloha that kind of engulfs all of it together so community and love yeah i mean yeah i mean it's uh, to me actually aloha really being all the time that i spent in hawaii and the family and and people that i've met there dave everybody um yeah that to me is it's it just puts it all together yin and yang you know yeah, I, I hear you man i hear you well listen anything new you got coming up you want to share with us before we before we finish up the episode you got anything new on the horizon i know you've uh, we didn't even cover this um <laughs> chuck was obviously beach west coast hawaii guy is now in the heartland New England, <laughs> Vermont, um, big change uh, for you. So anything new coming with that? I mean, anything so, you look for? Yeah, so for me, in a nutshell, I mean, we moved out to Vermont to try something different. I always like a challenge. Um, and clearly. this was clearly <laughs> a massive life change. And um, But it's been awesome. I mean, it builds you, you. You figure out who you are. And so... I'm working at, a, at an aerospace company called Beta Aircraft, and a really good friend of ours has built and designed an electric plane. And so I'm working there, learning to fly all different planes and be right there at the forefront of you know electric aviation. And it's something that I would have nice, never man. thought of coming from wow. an athlete side, but I'm using my brains. I'm very fortunate to have some to get, you know, to know a lot of the people there and uh, to have an opportunity to try something new and different. And then, so I'm taking kind of a little mini break from the sports and stuff that I did daily to learn and really kind of put so my head down. Dude, here you there. are again at yeah. the forefront of a new thing. It may not be water, it might be frozen or liquid water, but here you are again, dude, synchronicity. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's, it, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, your whole life, you, it's like, you know, th these are the people I love to talk to, right? Is it, it, it it's going with that flow it is awesome. And now that you've shared that with me, that's totally going to be an episode. I got to talk to you about electric airplanes and what you are doing Absolutely. with this. This is, this is fantastic. For everybody that's uh, tuned in for this episode, I want to thank Chuck Patterson uh, for taking the time out of his busy day and uh, uh, not risking his life today to, to spend some time. <laughs> you to probably saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, you, that's right. You owe me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I uh, just want to thank Chuck Patterson um, for all of you out there listening. And you're going to hear, you know, Chuck, we're going to have Chuck back on. For all of us here at Blue Rock, find peace, lead with love, and live. Aloha. Mahalo, brother. I love you. Take care of yourself and try and stay warm. Aloha. Thank you again, brother. Thanks, man. See ya.